0: Praise the Lord. Um, guys. Before we continue on, I want to I want to thank you guys for being so gracious to um, to me during uh, my the time of fasting. You guys know I, I was able to break um, my fast this past Friday and uh, it was it was really cool. And I really appreciate um, you guys fasting along during that time. And and praying and uh, just encouraging notes. I just I just want to let you know, I don't I didn't take any of that for granted. Um, I just think this is an unbelievable body and I'm honored and humbled uh, to be a part of this crew here as we fight the fight of faith together. You guys know that some of the main requests (coughs) was um, obviously just brokenness in my life, that I would be uh, recognizing sin in my life, that um, that I would be walking with the Lord and asking the Lord to build more humility in my own heart um, to him. Uh, self control uh, that that i that I, the the sin of greediness is something that's always readily available for me i'm, I'm, I'm more prone to be greedy uh, not just food but just in stuff and asking the Lord to do something in my heart where I can experience gospel contentment and not need something uh, or need the next thing, but I can just enjoy the Lord and enjoy season of day and live in life um, knowing that Jesus truly is my treasure. Um, and then also that the praying for this community, uh, just that the reality of our where we are serving and what we are doing uh, this is truly a spiritual battle, and just seeing all the different strongholds that many of us have in this room right now, uh, the different idols that we are possessing and the things that we are not letting go of, and watching uh, people that we love dearly make horrible choices in choosing plastic pearls and choosing demonic things versus choosing the goodness of God. Uh, gave the Lord, uh, gave me the grace to say, I want to fast for our body and say, Lord, would you allow us to break some of these strongholds? Would you allow us to see uh, these demons for what they are and to run from them and to run toward God? Um, so, those were some of the prayer requests uh, throughout. My time, and so I wanted to give you a quick update and uh, get your thoughts here. And this is uh, obviously to just share my heart and and to get and to hear what you're thinking a little bit, or to have at least you process with me because one of the scriptures that I was really processing and, and researching and and. Um, Diving into um, during the time of the 40-day fast was actually this one up here. Actually, the context I can share real quick. But let me just go ahead and read it and share with you. And hopefully this will encourage you on having a snapshot of what, was, what I was going through during my time. Uh, the scriptures read in Mark 9, verse 28 and 29. It says, after Jesus had gone indoors, uh, his disciples asked him privately, um, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. Some translations say by prayer and fasting. Uh, this the context of this passage here, uh is uh the disciples there's a guy, there's a kid who's demon possessed and the disciples, you know, go in and they try to cast this demon out and the demon does not come out of him. And so they're kind of bewildered. They don't understand, like, why is this demon not coming out? What's going on here? A very interesting passage. Make sure you read it on your own time. And I, b- I believe it's the same passage that you see also in Matthew. Uh, even though they don't, mention this, they don't mention this specific account, it mentions it everything else. So it's very interesting that the, the Bible would have this account in two of the four Gospels, which makes, me even, <laughs> makes it even as important to me um, uh, to research but what's interesting is they say, well, why could not we drive it out? And so the, the, the dad, the guys, he says, hey, these guys couldn't drive out the demon. What's going on? And then Jesus comes over and he speaks a word and uh, the demon leaves. And he says this statement to the disciples. The disciples pulls him aside and says, hey, Jesus, what's up? I thought we were your boys. Like, why, why can't we drive out the demon? <clears throat> and a couple of things came to mind. And that is, uh, first, <clears throat> you have to ask yourself, if, you, if you're doing exegesis, if you want to understand the meaning of the passage, then some questions should be going off in your mind. Okay, so he says this, these can only come out through prayer and fasting. Or so even if you say just prayer, but the manuscripts can even say prayer and fasting. So either he was saying, before this demon comes out, you've got to go in the room somewhere and fast, right? Or you've got to spend time praying more, and then a demon will come out. But that doesn't make much sense, right? Because it seems to be an immediacy here. And so he couldn't be saying, oh, before this demon comes out, actually, the the kid has to have the demon for two more days. You go fast and then come back and the demon comes out. Obviously, we don't think that's the case. So. So now as we do our biblical interpretation, we have to say that can't be a conclusion. So what is it then? If there's an immediacy here, if the demon was supposed to have come out by these guys, but it didn't, but it did with Jesus. And, you know, Jesus didn't fast for five minutes and then cast the demon out. It seems that Jesus is talking about some sense of livelihood. That he's saying, guess what, these kind of demons, this kind of thing here comes out when people are in constant relationship with me in the sense of the of the disciplines of prayer and fasting. Okay, so when you couple the reality in in Matthew chapter two, him helping us understand that, hey, you don't have to fast right now because the bridegroom is here. Jesus is here. But there will be a time where you need to fast. And then you put that with Matthew chapter six, where God is making it very clear that there's an assumption that for us as believers, there is a spiritual formation that is happening with each of us. And that part of that formation is that he's assuming that there is a constant sense of fasting and prayer that is a part of your regimen in your spiritual journey. When you couple all that together, it seems that Jesus is actually saying to the disciples, guess what? You guys couldn't cast this demon out because you guys aren't fasting and praying regularly. So it seems that he's saying that there's some sense that, hey, that there is, that there's something that God is doing when He's having us seeking Him in these spiritual disciplines. And He tells these guys that when that's part of your regimen, and this is kind of a continuation, then, and now hear me, He's not focused on just the prayer and fasting. His point there is because obviously that's not happening. He's saying it's almost like y'all walked into this thing thinking, like, oh, we're Jesus' disciples. And so we got it going on. We've been casting out some other demons. Obviously, we can, we can cast out this one. And they lost a the sense of dependence. So here's what he's saying. So he's saying you have this prayer and fasting thing. That is important. You're not doing it. But if you get caught up and think, well, he's saying do this thing and then this thing will happen, you still missed it. Because his point is that what the prayer fasting models is that there's a continual sense that you realize that there that you are dependent upon the Lord and that the Lord himself has within himself to cast out these demons. But you and I, the difference between Jesus and you and I is that we are we are conduits at at some level. Right. We uh, we don't have the essence like Philippians two. we don't have the essence of God, as he says, you know, I did not have to grasp at God because I possess being God we receive Jesus' power. See, so it's not that just we're powerful, but we receive power because we, we receive Christ. So we receive power from Christ. And whenever we think we're just powerful and we miss the sense of conduit peace, of us receiving Christ's power, we're powerless. Am I making sense here? So my point in that. When he says this, it's very important to understand that God is trying to make a very distinct point here to these guys, is that don't get arrogant and think, because you're just with me, that you're with me. It's not enough just to be with me, you need to be dependent on me. And a practical ramification of that is you need to be praying and fasting. So I bring it to you, family of God, to say, I was like, man, <clears throat> like in our body, are we, are we constantly practicing the disciplines of praying, praying and fasting. That was the question I just wanted to ask. And it's funny. Um, we ask that question because people, we get very nervous. We start thinking legalism. We start thinking, oh, my goodness. Are you going to make us do something? And, but I, I want to propose and challenge you guys. Like, as you as you as you seek the Lord in the spirit, ask yourselves, why is that our natural reaction? Like why do we automatically want to put up a defense to fast to pray? Why do, why, just ask yourself, is that from the Lord or not? That's between you and the Lord. But ask yourself, what, what, why do we have those natural defenses? Here's my proposal. My proposal to us: the assumption here in the body, guys, if you're in discipleship, if you're in Macab or you're in discipleship relationships, the scriptures are very clear. You should be having, at some level in your spiritual formation, a regimen where you are fasting before the Lord. That's just theology. That's, that's God's thinking. And obviously you need to be praying. We need to be pra- a praying body. I want to propose to you that one practical way we can do that, I think which could be really cool, and then you can talk about it in your mat groups, is that we weekly could fast during our mat group day, and then we can break our fast together. So, like, for example, our mat group's on Tuesday, and then our mat group can fast on Tuesday. And then on Tuesdays, you know, we break our, we break our fast during our communion meal before we begin to, being, you know, familiar relationship and talking and hanging. Uh, that could be one way where you're breaking it together as a community. Uh, if you're on Wednesday's mat group, you know, again, you fast on Wednesdays and you're fasting and you're praying for the community, things of that sort, and then you break it together as a community. And then it could be really cool down the road as we continually build mat groups and the Lord is growing us by his grace. And we have mat groups every day of the week. We have We have groups fasting and praying every day of the week for the community, for each other. I think it could be an awesome time. So that's an example of what we could be doing. But um, but I was deeply convicted as I was looking at this passage theologically and looking at Jesus say this to the disciples who was with the king and uh, understanding what he's called us to in the realm of fasting and prayer. So I thought I'd just share that with you guys. Um. I, I do my, my expectation is that you would talk about that in your mad groups. Again, if you decide as a mad group not to do that, praise the Lord. You know how we are here. We are we are about grace motivation here. But you but in that grace, we need to be considering what does it look like for you as individuals to be fasting and, and seeking God and fasting? Because that's one of the spiritual formation principles or disciplines God has given us uh, to understand that he is our sustenance and not food. Cool. Does that make sense. Okay, guys, um, and if you have any questions, any questions about that before I move on to the text? Sweet. Again, thank you guys uh, for caring for me. Hopefully, I would encourage you to look at that address. I think uh, a powerful demonstration of God's grace, but also his conviction and what did he wants want us to be about as a people. Okay, we're going to hit Genesis chapter 50, guys. If you need Bibles, raise your hand. Uh, We've got Bibles right here. <coughs> As you guys know, we started Genesis, man, we have been in the book of Genesis for over a year, and I tell you guys, I'm, I'm so excited and just blessed and proud of our group. You guys are awesome just to see our crew take over a year and walk through the word and patiently, hopefully, feeling like you can... You can, uh, my prayer is that some of you just sit down in a Starbucks right now. You could, with some sense of grace, walk someone through the Book of Genesis with the major themes, understanding of the exegesis, what's happening in the story of God, and then how it fits into redemptive history, the gospel, and then where do you see Christ and his typologies all throughout Genesis? Uh, that'd be cool for you to uh, do that sometime, just to sit down and see if you can process that we you know with some friends and things of that sort, and what does it look like for you to walk through the book of genesis um, i I hope you guys I feel like um man, I feel like I 'm like in the last year of school, you know it's just it's so exciting, you know, like just to be able to know like man we we did it, you know, and um like have a good summer, you know I feel like this is this is awesome, so um Guys, um, I want to encourage you. I, do, I, do don't, I don't take for granted uh, just the faithfulness of our crew and how awesome uh, the Lord has blessed us with a great body and how honored I am to be able to teach the scriptures to you guys. And uh, just, uh, I just gave a big portion of my life to Genesis. And so that's why it's like meaningful to me uh, to be in a book for year and to see the Lord allow us to complete it. Uh, you know, we did John. We did Galatians. I think this is our biggest one. And so, uh, again, hats off to our body. And now we're hitting uh, Genesis chapter 50. Let me go ahead. Um, we're doing the second part of chapter 50, which I believe starts in verse 15. So you can get ready to go there. And here's what's going on here. Let me just give you a big snapshot. So basically what we're seeing happen um, in Genesis is basically uh, we're seeing this happen over and over again. These kind of three, three things keep popping up. So we have um, in the beginning of Genesis, we have this sense of God creating out of the abundance. We talk about this a lot, right? He create out of love, joy and abundance. And we always try to make the important stipulation here that unlike us as, as, as people, uh, he doesn't create. He doesn't do something out of outage. Right. God doesn't. He's not kind of like, oh, man, I'm kind of sad. I'm bored on Thursday. Let me make people like right. God didn't do that. Right. God doesn't. That's us. Right. We we get we're nervous. We we're lonely. We go find somebody. We you know, you buy a dog. You know, you that's what we do. Right. We 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 purchase things and we move and do our life out of out of outage. Like, oh, my goodness, I need something. Let me fill that void. And what God does, he's so other. He's so unlike us. He says, actually, I don't create out of. Outage, I create out of abundance. I create because I have so much, not because I don't have. That's the good God you have and that I serve, right? And so he says, Well, I am so loving, I'm so awesome, I'm so powerful. I mean, I get all this to myself. I want to bless other people. And so then he creates people so that he can bless people with how cool he is. So God does that. He creates, and then he creates creation, and then in creating creation, all the things that we see and even don't see, what he does is he creates us, which is so awesome, as the pinnacle of creation, right? So he creates humans, and he gives us the awesome opportunity where we get to bear his image, and so he creates us as image bearers, not just as creation, but image bearers, where we get to remind God of himself, and so... Uh, When he looks at at us, the heart is that he would see all these little images of him and go, man, look how cool I am. Look how cool I am. Look how cool I am. And that's the whole beauty of, of what God is trying to do. But then we instead of like reflecting God to himself so God can just walk into a beautiful living room. And as if there's a ton of mirrors and him just continually see himself and be like, I am just so awesome, which is totally appropriate with a good, awesome king. He can't do that because we have the audacity to think that we're our own gods. And then we sin against God by having idol worship, right, i.e. ourselves and sinning. And then God, what happens is now the image is flawed. And so now here we are looking kind of evil, looking kind of good, looking kind of evil, right? It's flawed. It's not totally killed, but it's definitely marred our image. And then what God could have done, because we sin against God, him being totally holy and perfect, should have, could have destroyed us all. But he didn't. Uh, what he did was he was gracious, again, modeling how awesome he is. What he decided to do is said, instead of destroying all of you, what I'll do is I am going with the scriptures called the Proto-Evangelion, right? He says, I am going to take what's messed up, right, and that is sin, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to use it for my glory, and then I'm going to destroy sin, death, Satan, and evil, and then I'm going to keep what's perfect good and everything that I've made. And in, and guess what? And it's going to last forever. And so that's what God does. In Genesis chapter 3, he brings a proto-eungalian. He says, I'm going to take Satan. I'm going to crush his head. And then the king is going to have a scepter. And he's going to rule forever. And he's going to rule in a perfect world where there will be love, perfect uh, joy, happiness, and fellowship. So, what you have, you have the scriptures begin to paint this picture of because of us and man, man and God, we have creation, beautiful God, decreation, man, and then we decreate, right? We destroy ourselves, perpetuate violence, do our thing, but then God says, one day I'm going to bring in new creation. But before I bring in new creation, I got, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to convince all of you guys that you really need it. OK, and so I'm going to let you guys decreate and destroy and mess up. And so basically, that's what we get to see in Genesis. And so that's what we've been seeing throughout Genesis. Right, guys? And hasn't Genesis been awesome in the sense that we look at all these cool, awesome patriarchs, all these people you've been reading about. You got people painting on your little kitty walls and stuff like that. You know, we look at the Jacobs, look at the Isaacs, look at the Abrahams. And we see there are absolutely evil, messed up, crazy people. And it gives us hope. Right, and that's what's happened. Right, so we've looked through the we looked through the generations, and we've continually seen God beeline this beautiful story of redemption, making all things new, and he and he beelines it into a specific family, Abraham, and then we see Abraham and how crazy he is, and we see Isaac, and then we see Jacob, and then we get all the way through these generations, and now we've been uh, in this generation of Jacob and Joseph for a while now. Okay. And then during this time, we've seen horrible things. We've seen murders and rapes. We've seen uh, adultery. We've seen incest. We've seen it all. Okay? And now we're in chapter 50, uh, and now we're dealing with the life of Joseph. And we've been dealing with the life of this guy, this Joseph guy, who comes and And he's a child of of Jacob. And and basically, uh, he's told by God that he can tell dreams. He tells some dreams. His brothers get jealous. Uh, His brothers, he's part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have these 12 uh, brothers and and one sister Um, basically they get upset with joseph they decide to kill joseph Uh, instead of killing him god is gracious he allows them to actually uh, sell joseph into slavery so his brothers uh, these are all of jacob's sons. because now we've gone from abraham to isaac to jacob they sell uh, joseph into slavery uh, to the ishmaelites then the ishmaelites sell joseph uh, to the Egyptians. Egyptians are the most powerful known nation uh, in the world at that time. And probably, I think, for the, like, the next 1,300 years, they would be like the big dogs. So you're talking about uh, just the grand puba of culture. And he's in here. He's the He's a slave. Well, God blesses him. He Everything he does is, is like right in the Lord's eyes. Uh, he goes from slave to to run in Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife wants to hook up with him and have sex. He tries to run from her. Uh, she calls him. She says he rapes her. So she puts the rape charge on him. He gets thrown into prison. And this is a guy who is told by God that he's going to be this beautiful, this big, powerful guy. And his brothers are going to bow down to him and all this stuff. right? Well, he's now in prison. Um, He has a few more dreams. He's in prison. And basically, he spends over 20 years of his life as a slave and in prison at that stage. Basically in prison. And he doesn't see his parents. He doesn't see his dad or his brothers in over 20 years. During this time, God allows him um, to be risen up. Uh, because there's going to be a famine and a feast. Well, actually, there's a feast first, and then there's a famine. There's a famine so hard in the culture at that time that it'll make the feast look like nothing, and if Joseph was not there, all the people would have died, including the Israelites. They would have died. And guess what would have happened? God would have been a liar because he said the Israelites were going to bring in a promised Messiah. But God is not a liar. So what does God do? He puts Joseph in that time, in that place for a specific reason so that he might be risen up. He becomes the second in control of all of Egypt. And then he leads the Egyptians into dispersing seed to people so that people, all the people don't die. So in essence, you have a slave, a Hebrew slave who was a slave for many years, about 20 or so years, becomes the most second powerful man in all of Egypt. And he saves the known world. But not only that, he saves his brothers uh, and his dad. Because they come in, buying and see. He realizes it's those guys. Long story short, as he begins to reconcile with these guys, his brother, his brothers and his dad, and they're in Egypt, he brings his family, if you remember. Remember, he bought them all Escalades and they came and he brought them over from, from Canaan to Egypt. And they go to Egypt and now they're hanging out in the Egyptian land where no one knows Jesus but them. No one knows the Lord and they're kind of hanging uh, but they remember that they were still supposed to get to the promised land. Last couple of weeks, we've watched Jacob die. So Jacob is Joseph's, is Joseph's dad. And before he dies, he gives a blessing to Joseph's sons. And we see uh, some of where those guys are going to be in the future and where God just shows us through Jacob this guy will be blessed before, because of what he did. This guy will be cursed because of what he did. And now we continue to move on and we're having a change of the guard. And the big thing that we're getting, guys, in Genesis is that there's an issue of lineage. There's an issue of succession, right? Where God is saying, how is your life going to count for kingdom? What are you doing for your life in reference to the kingdom? And are you passing the baton on? will? what are you doing? Are you making your life matter for kingdom purposes? So here we are. In chapter 50, we've just had the death of his dad. And now, remember, we said the brothers are nervous. Okay, why are the brothers nervous? Because they're thinking we tried to kill this guy. Okay, we tried to kill Joseph because he said he's going to rule over us and we didn't want to rule over us. So we sold him. We did him wrong. Daddy's dead now. There's no one stopping him from destroying all of us, because he is powerful. So they're kind of nervous. Remember I said it might be like the whole Godfather part two, you know. You guys never seen that? Yeah. Thank you, Matt. We got one Christian in the house. Okay. All right, so here we are, guys. Genesis chapter 50. Um, That was, you know, Alfredo, you know, he wasted. Yeah, okay. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20 through 21. You guys ready to Rock. So this is where we are now, guys. If you are new, you're going, oh my goodness, what just happened? That was 50 chapters of Genesis in about a, in about 3-4 minutes, okay? And you can get that online. Uh, you can go online and you can download the sermons to hopefully catch yourself up. Hopefully back average in your mind, hopefully you were just replaying things and hopefully you just connecting the dots and feeling like that you can share that story from creation, uh, to the end of Genesis, okay, guys? Remember, there's all, we, we might be planning an exam. One day we might come here we think we might have like a little test, a little Macav test on Genesis, baby. Right? Praise them. Okay. So, here we are. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so J- Jacob dies. Here's Joseph. Still powerful, he's protected, cared for his brothers. Remember what he did? Brought them in. They're all nervous. Why are you giving us stakes? Why are you giving Benjamin five? What's going on? Why are you blessing us like this? Why are you bringing us here? They're still wondering. Has he really forgiven us? You got to be kidding me! Has he really forgiven us? So they're nervous, right? It's been years now. It's been years. They've been in Egypt for years. And they're still nervous. Right? It says, uh, they say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? It's been years. And, and I just thought to myself, I thought, wow, this is interesting to me because it's amazing. I want to get your thoughts here. You know how it is when you're scared and you don't know if someone's really forgiving you. And I began to look at this. I thought, it's interesting how a lot of times we, we, we think people will treat us like we would treat them. And actually, sometimes I think the sad thing about this commentary is really a commentary that they're actually defaming Joseph's character, thinking that he really isn't good, that he really isn't a forgiver. But what it really is, is probably an indictment on their character. It's like when you think everyone's trying to steal from you and you think everyone's trying to get you, usually it's because you get other people. Usually it's because you're a thug. So sometimes, just think about it. Sometimes when you, when, it's, when every, when you know what I'm saying, and I've had it, and I, and I say that because I'm guilty of that, and I and I, I begin to just watch like how how Sarah and I process things differently, and I'm just like I wonder it's because I would do I would do this to this person, so I expected them to do that to me, because the very same thing Sarah wouldn't even think she'd be like, why would you think that that would be the conclusion? It's like, because I'm sick? But but you know what? But, but but pause and think about this. That's sad. There's a commentary there on my character. Like why? Like why? Why would I? Why do I? Why do I always think cup half empty? Is it because I would get somebody? Is it because I would lie and cheat? So I'm expecting you to lie and cheat? Just think about that for a little bit. So it's very sad. So there, you, know, you know, he's going to hold a grudge against us. Why? Because you probably hold a grudge if you did It It's the other way around, huh? I mean, actually, I'm probably having the same situation right now with my with our in-laws. You know, it's, I think a lot of stuff that's going on is because that's probably like how, maybe how he would treat other people. So, you know, he's expecting me to treat them this way. And I'm just like, oh, it's really unfortunate, you know. Just keep us in prayer, too, because, you know, uh, we're, we're in the process of meeting with our parents uh, to see some reconciliation in the family stuff. So keep that in prayer, guys, okay? So, so they're so they're nervous, right? Continue on. It says in verse sixteen. So they sent word to Joseph. So here, so so they're nervous, right? And here's their response. Look. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, "Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph." So they're like, "Joseph, look, Daddy said. Just letting you know. This ain't. ain't, We didn't think about this. Is what Daddy said." Uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When a message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. Why do you think Joseph wept? Because uh, his brothers didn't know his true He's been care of for five years. Like he what you think. Mm-hmm. So, so Matthew says, he, honestly, they didn't get Joseph's true character. I believe two, uh, yes, this lost time. Lost time. Lost time in a relationship. So I'm proposing, when Matthew said the issue of, like, they didn't trust his character, and I think he wept because he knew they were lying. This is a lie. Think about it. He was with his daddy till he died. Remember? Last chapter, he was with him the whole time. So this didn't happen. So he hears these guys, and he's going, you got to be kidding me. I brought you from Canaan to Egypt. I give you the best land. I give you money, food. Your whole family is thriving. I've been blessing you for years. They've been there for years. Remember, he has three generations of kids now. We're going to see. Joseph has, I mean, his kids are having kids. That's how long they've been there. And you're going to tell me after 10 years or 15 years, he's an old man now. I actually have... I mean, I'm talking like maybe 20 to 30 years. You're going to sit here and still lie and paint this picture? His heart is broken. His heart is absolutely broken. Like, really, dude? All this time, you're going to still not trust the Lord? You have a warped view of God, and you have a warped view of what God has done in my life. Very sad. It says, Joseph wept. Look at this. Joseph says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Uh, picture, like if you hear that, what are you thinking? So, so again, Bible study methods. You hear that text. What, is, what, is, what does that bring you to? The dream, right? So again, fulfillment of the dream. I just think it's cool how the Lord has wanted us to see, and the author wanted us to see that. He wanted us to see the irony that the very, the very thing, so now I notice this because there's a theme here, guys. The very thing that the guys are trying to make sure that it did not happen, okay? This is the very thing. The reason why they tried to off Joseph was so that this, this would not happen is right here before them now. The scriptures say his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So they, here they are, bowing down. And now notice, remember Joseph said, you guys are going to be worshiping me. Remember your, what was it, like a big uh, wheat, wheat, wheat bundle? She thing is going to be bowing down to me, and I'll be kind of standing there. But notice, notice the reaction here. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Again, we get to see a snapshot into Joseph's character. He doesn't go, "Oh, remember that dream? Look, <laughs> it's happening, guys." By the way, I just wanted to show you guys, God's good. You know, he he didn't he didn't try to remind them of the dream or anything like that. But look at what he says here, and I want us to I want us to not miss this theological principle here, guys. So he says. Don't be afraid. Am I in a place of God? I think there's two things that we need to learn just briefly, just by just looking at the text implication. This is just the implication, not the biblical interpretation. Um, And that is first people are not to be worshiped. Okay, I know that seems plain, but here's the thing. We are in a society in America, guys, where we where worship of people is not only done, but it is appropriate. And here's the thing, we fooled ourselves, so Satan fools us in actually thinking that we're, we're, not, that we're inoculated from that in the church. But in, in so doing, actually, we worship people just like the, the world does. And so we're worshiping our kids, we're worshiping our spouses. I mean, you think of all the athletes, I mean, many of us are in this room right now, and we are worshiping athletes, we're worshiping entertainers. We're worshiping people with intellectual pedigree. We're wor- some of you are worshiping pastors. I mean, I'm a d- little groupies. And, and guess what, guys? We need to repent of those sins. You know how crazy it is to be worshiping a person who's talking about Jesus. That's weird. So we need to learn it. Ask the Lord, Lord, what does it look like for me to honor somebody who has the juice where God is blessing them but not worship them? That their word is not infallible. They can mess up. They do mess up. Joseph says, hold on, bruh. You're going to get me killed. God hates idol worship and if you make me an idol, my heart might explode. So cut it out. Hurry up. You gonna put me on God's head list acting like that. Jared. You know what? It's too it's too messy to give to give three points. Uh, what I would say is do, does, do, does anything get more of your attention than God? And whatever that thing is, there's your idol. If it's a Lexus, if it's your grass, outside ain't talking weed, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. If it's your girlfriend, your jewels, whatever it is, is it your profession? I mean, the doctors here, you guys got to be very careful, man. Watch some of you guys, man. I mean, you might as well put your degree and put two incense by it. It's crazy. Is it because you're, you're into community development? What gives more of your time than Jesus? Whatever it is, you need to kill it. And you need to repent because that's out of worship. So if you're giving homage, it's cool to say, oh, man, Tom Brady throws a nice foul. That's great. I love watching as it's fun. God has created sports. Hallelujah. We can go to a game. And we can honor that. When you give homage and at, when you give when you give worth to people because of what they do or who they are, that's worship. We are not called to worship anything or anyone but King Jesus. Anything. Great question, bro. Thanks for bringing that up, man. And we really need to process that. Ask yourself, yes, not three. oh, two, I'm not doing this, oh, I didn't do these three things. Ask yourself in your heart, where does your, where does your allegiance lie? And I'm telling you, if you're really honest, you'll figure out real quick where your idols are. Sex, masturbation, pornography, uh, same-gender attraction, computers, Xbox. Are you lazy? You sleep all the time. Your job. I mean, go through it. Your dog. Your reputation. We can go through it all day. You see what I'm saying, guys? But here's the thing, at Matt guys. We need to. We hey, we want to do that hard work where we want to yield to the Lord. So let's just ask the Lord. Lord, would you reveal the idols in my life and give me the give me the strength to yield? We've been having some good times with the staff team. And it is me and my, you know, just talking through some of that stuff in our personal relationships. And just seeing that we've been putting people in, in esteemed places where they probably shouldn't be. And having to repent of some stuff and go, you know what? I don't know if that should be there. It's been good. It's been good. Yes, sis. Mm-hmm. just want to tell, so what, what Kristen's saying is that, you know, it's just interesting if we're talking about fasting and prayer and then we talk talking about just a real brief sense of idol worship. And I wanted to hear this because, you know, again, we talk about this a lot in our, in our body, is that the scripture is a chock full of stuff, but it's so funny how it's just a real kind of simple. This idol worship piece is huge. If we in our life can learn how to detect recognize and destroy, cast down idols, man, what a place we'll be in a body. So I just pray we're not going, oh, yeah, idol worship. Then you, you're missing it. You're, you should be like, yeah, idol worship. Where's the idol in my life? And so this is saying that there's a response that happens um, through prayer, fasting that we need to be kind of keen to and thinking through. What does it look like if we, in the Old Testament, if you have an idol, you recognize it, and then hey, do you, you fast? You tear your clothes. You realize, man, I'm undone because I was created to worship the King, not his creation. And you go um, to him and ask him to do something in your heart that we can't do in ourselves. So if you're new here, people are asking questions because we do that. We ask questions and we try to give insight and be encouraged. Let me wait one, one, one moment. And, uh, you know, no, go ahead real quick. Go ahead real quick, Jeremy. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, 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 good distinction. Uh, well, but I want to I want to push back a little bit in that is good distinction is not necessarily time, but time is a key indicator. So if I'm given so if I'm if all my time is in my job, then then the burden of proof is on you to show me how that's not an idol. Because if God has given me life to worship Him, and all my time is spent d- doing this job, and the question is, if then, then you got to say, okay, am I worshiping God at this job? And and the key indicators there is like, okay, so because there's time, and there's like situations where if you're a med student, hey, it's the nature of the beast. You can't, you know, you're gonna going to be gone a lot. If you start a new business, it's the nature of the, you know, you got to figure that out. But in three years, if you you got to ask yourself, like, if you're if you in three years you started a business, for example, and that's why it's not a three or four thing. It's like a hard issue, in Christ issue. If in three years you started a business and your wife still is sitting in the room shaking because she hasn't seen you, house horrible, your kids still giving you the middle finger, like you got a process. Maybe, you know. Well, but I'm doing it for you. Look at all this money. Well, I actually want my daddy. You know what I'm saying? So, so like. There's key indicators, too. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think time could be an indicator, but time isn't. Like, I love what you said there, because I want to make sure I didn't say it. I think I said that. I want to make sure you clear that up. I appreciate that. Time isn't the determining factor, but it is a key indicator. So there's other things that come into it. The key indicator is, is it in Christ? And then we can know if it's in Christ based on do, 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 and one of them being time. So I'm, I'm really glad that you made that distinction, bro. I think that's very important. For many of us in here who have time-intensive jobs... And you have to navigate, what am I being faithful to, and where is it an idol? You know, because, yeah, so we got to process that. Good stuff, man. Uh, the other piece, so people are not to be worshipped, and then who is fit to judge? I love this piece here, because what he says is, uh, now, now, well, we, we can mess this up as Christians. We go, well, I can't judge anybody. Well, that's totally unbiblical. You don't even understand your prophetic mandate if you're saying that. No one in Maccalf, hey, hey guys, no one in Macab. please never say, I shouldn't judge anyone. That's totally unbiblical. I, it's the most Christian pop culture crap I've ever heard. It's not biblical. You are called as the people of God to judge. You're called to judge sin. It's a mandate. If you're not judging sin, you don't even understand what does it mean to be a witness of the Lord. So, but you, you're called to judge sin with great discernment. That means you need to know it's sin. Okay? So you're not called to judge preferences. But we can ask questions as Christians to know if something's a preference or if it's a principle. You following me so far, guys? So, so even in the great passage in Matthew, when he says, you know, do not judge or you be judged. You talk about people talk about the plank in your eye and the the big old piece of wood and all that stuff. Well, you got to look at the whole text there. His point is that he doesn't say in the text there, don't judge. He says, judge with right discernment. His point is that take the plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to judge. You see that? He still wants you to judge. Just don't judge with a big old fork in your eye. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you can see. So now you can go, oh, okay, and wipe that out, and so now I can see clearly. So his point is that the believer is called to judge. So what is he saying here? His point here is this. And me as a pastor, I'm called to judge. I'm called to look at people, and when they're, when they're fornicating and they're cheating on their wife, and they're, they're screaming, and doing all this crazy stuff, I'm called as a believer and a leader, as a pastor, to say, based on what I'm seeing, the information I'm seeing here, this, church discipline, if you're a part of this body, or I I will propose to you because of these things, I just want to tell you, I don't know if you're a believer, but his point here is God is the ultimate judge, okay, don't, don't miss that, God is the ultimate judge, so guess what, I might get it wrong, and you might get it wrong, but that does not mean you're not called to judge, you're still called to judge sin, okay, am I making sense here? So his point is like, what are you doing worshiping me? First of all, God know what y'all did, all right? And God is going to be the ultimate judge here. So I'm not the judge, but I want to make sure that we don't go, whoo, I'm glad I read that text and I ain't got to judge nobody. That's not true because the Gospels are very clear that the people of God are to keep holiness in the camp. And the way we keep holiness in the camp is to make sure people are being holy. Right. Cool? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so he says these two things. It was, I thought it was awesome to watch. Uh, him to be very clear. Am I in the place of God? Continuing on, if you notice, we're building on the text here, uh, right now. Uh, we're in verse 20, bottom, bottom right here. He says here, so, we are your slaves, they said, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He says, you intended, uh, don't be afraid, guys. I'm talking to these guys. Am I in a place of God? And he continues on and says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Guys, I tell you, I love that. This is where you should smile. And here's the thing, guys. I'll tell you, this is the text you need to, if you have a Bible right now, you want to circle this text. This is a very, very important text right here. This is probably one of the most important passages in all of Genesis, especially this is the most important passage in the life of Jacob and Joseph, which it takes over almost half the book, because this is actually the exegetical meaning of the whole historical narrative. This is why Jacob and Joseph primarily next to Joseph being a type of Christ, the reason why God wanted this to be, wanted to put this story in the book is he wanted us to understand something as a people of God. And hear me here. He wants you and me to understand at the core of our hearts his sovereignty. Do you hear me, family? He wants you to understand that no matter what happens, I love what he does. Let me, just, let me just push back a little bit. He says, he's very clear. He says, you meant it for evil. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's very clear. You tried to kill me. And what I love about this, if I can just bring a, a brief caveat, talking to my homie, I pray in our body, we will be people who are truthful. Who tell the truth. You know, I was telling my friend, can I, can I just tell you guys as a family, one of the things that I can't, that, that kills me, and I'm going to be counseling, some of you guys, and you're going gonna to remember this, but, you know, counseling for 15 years, I'm telling you, I get so frustrated that in counseling, in order to be heard, you gotta play this little game in order just to get to the obvious. You know, I got to You know, do come in. He's addicted to something crazy. And, you know, he does something every and we just feel like in counseling, everybody needs to have a balanced view. And what do you need to own? And what do you need? And and, but you know what? That's like 10 percent of the time. Usually, you know, what's happening in counseling? Somebody just a jerk. You know, and, it, and then I got to go through all the, you know, Socratic method of questioning. So, what do you think you're hearing when he says this? And what you, you know, and I'm just like, no, man, like, stop looking at porn. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and, and, and it's like, it, and my point here is like, I'm blown away at how how we have to in our body. Even I watch like people have issues, and and sometimes even in our math groups, we think, well, okay, there's these blatant issues, but you know, we got to be fair, so. I'll act like you need to own some stuff too, even though you the one crazy. And I love—I know y'all get mad, but I'm just keeping it real. I love that Joseph says, "I ain't no—it ain't no balance." Like, well, I noticed some things I said in the past, and that's the reason why you threw me in a ditch. And he's like, "No, he's like, you tried to kill me, man. I don't care what I did. Like, that's crazy. You sold me to some people." My point in all that. Is in our groups, I'm praying that we would be we would be truthful people that, guys, we don't have to play games. If it's clear, let's just make it clear. And if it's murky, then let's deal with the murkiness. But let's not make clear things murky so everybody feel good. There is a big difference. Hear me here. There's a big difference in when you're counseling somebody being fair and being truthful. Don't mix those up because you can be fair and not truthful. And what have you done? God wants me to be truthful, and in being truthful, I'm actually being fair to Christ. That makes sense, okay? That was just a mad group thing. Some of y'all might not come back, but we really love the Lord, and I'm trying. It's a balance, but so so. Notice this text here. Now, what I love about this text, guys. Is he is saying something very powerful here, guys, because his point here is that we all have hardships. I mean you think of Joseph of Life, let me just go go to this real quick. He says, You intended to harm me, God intended it for good. See, here's the question you gotta ask yourself. In our lives, there's gonna be devastation, there's gonna be despair, there's gonna be hardship, right? But where are you running? And I put there people possession appeals because I'm telling you, we either run into people. We, we, you know, some of us have all our validation in people. Have all our validation in what we have. We're like some of us. Now, can you hear me here. Some of us have to take stuff. Because of, of anatomically, there's some there's some imbalance stuff going. And some of us are just addicted. Some of us have these coping mechanisms. And I'm telling you, if all your hope are in those things, you're going to need to keep getting more possessions. You're going to need to have all these other people in your life. And you're going to need to have to keep taking more pills and stuff. Because God is saying, a believer, you, should not, you can't find your hope in those things. The point of this text here is that your, you and me, our only hope is in God. That's his point. His point is that, do you think about Joseph's life? Think about his life. He gets sold into slavery. Okay? His brothers tried to kill him. In slavery, he does well. He gets a rape charge against him. He gets put into prison after slavery. He is in slavery in prison. Okay? And this is for 13 to 20 years. Do you not think he ever doubted what the Lord is doing? Do you not think he ever had a bad day and said, man, is it worth it? Should I not just kill myself? Should I not just end it all right now? Do you not think he didn't question the goodness of the Lord? Guys, his life is exponentially worse than most of us in this room. Think about that. How many of you guys have been sold by, your, by your, your brothers into slavery? How many of you have been in prison for two weeks, let alone 13 years? And here's a guy going, I would not want to go through it again. I would not wish it on myself. But God did something where he worked it all, where God was honored. He took all this mess, and guess what he did? He saved millions of people. And, and here's what the is trying to show us in Macab, that, you know what, he can take, you got family, you got dads who left you, you can take a guy, you can take a single parent mom, you know, and you grow up and you have no daddy, and that guy can become a pastor. Okay? You can take a drug dealer, and that guy can become an elder. You know, you can take a prostitute, and she can become a discipler and a leader in the church. Do you understand what God is trying to show us is that he takes things and in our lives that are horrible where we get raped and we get molested and we get we have drug abuse and people tell you you're not going to be crap. And then you have racism. People tell you, well, you're black and so you're not going to be anything. Oh, and you're fat. Oh, and you're skinny. Oh, and you're ugly. And people do all this stuff to us. And we go through our life and we're going, oh, my goodness, life is so horrible. And God says, I can take all that craziness, all that crap, and I can make people who save millions of people's lives. And so when he reads that text, he's saying, do you think I can't do that in your life, too? Do you not think that same narrative can be in your life? Your whole life, your your dad was horrible. You had a crappy dad. You had a crappy mom. Guess what? You can start being a dad that you never had. You can now start telling a different story. And we're seeing that in our body. We're seeing a Frank telling a different story to his kids. Where he didn't have a dad who cared for him, who loved him. And now look at him, who's cared for his kids. We can have a different story. God has not enough to stay there. Why? Not because we're so good, not because we're so smart, but because God says, I, I, he said, what he said in Romans, he says, I will work together the good for all those who are called according to his purposes of Christ Jesus all the things, all the crazy stuff that happens, that I'm going to work it and I'm going to fix it. And if you trust me, I'm sovereign. I'll take it. And I guarantee you, I will lift you up to glorify my name. His point here is that God takes messed up stuff and he'll turn it around. So the world goes, oh my goodness. And he goes, I get all the glory. The weakest person in this room is the strongest person in Christ. And he wants us to get that. Joseph's not bragging upon himself, family. He's not going look at me. He's saying, you tried to kill me. All the things that were going on in my life. And he said, God can do something. God can take the messed up stuff and make something good. I just want us to get that. The sovereignty of the Lord. He is all powerful. Nothing's outside of his control. That's his point. If we can just live a life with that passion of understanding that reality, make decisions, not in fear, not just calculating like the world does, who, who don't even have the spirit. We just sit around and go, okay, well, this is what I need to do. No, God says you have the Holy Spirit. We make different decisions, guys. We make decisions based on the kingdom. We make decisions based on courage in Christ. We make decisions based on the authority of Scripture, where God has given us a a history, a narrative of His faithfulness, and we say, based on that, that's why I can go to a country where no one's hearing the gospel, get my head blown off, and it's okay, because God is sovereign. Do you believe that? Or do you think your life didn't matter because you got killed? See, that's where God says the rubber meets the road. How do you say you can't come to the hood because you might get hurt? Where's the sovereignty of God in that? Where is it? He's trying to make a point, guys. He says, he took the impossible. We read the story together. We saw the impossible. You saw his life. You saw what he went through. You see what you're going through. Think about what you're going through. Think about your life right now. Think about your life. Some of you are thinking, man, my marriage is never going to get better. My finance is never going to get better. I'm never going to get a man. I'm never going to get a wife. Is my kid going to get better? Am I going to have kids? And we're struggling, guys. And what we do is we begin to self-insulate and we begin to protect ourselves. And God says, sweetheart, am I sovereign? Is it all happening under my control? Or do you just think it's because you don't have eggs in your body? Are you trusting me? Are you trusting me with your son and his kidneys, Eric? And we all have this story, guys. Think of your narrative and think where you are questioning the sovereignty of your Savior. And let's repent together and let's believe the Lord and live a life of courage. He continues on. He says, when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead. I'm sorry. I continue, I'm sorry. I'm down here. At, uh, verse 21, guys. You're down here in the bottom right here. He says, so then his response was like, don't be afraid, guys. I'm not that guy. I'm not. I'm not tripping. and he says, I'll provide for you and your children. I provided for all these years, I'll continue to provide, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I love that. He not only said, Hey, he didn't, read, he didn't remember, remember rebuke you, he tried to kill me, but I love to say that spoke he spoke kindly to them, he reassured them. I love it. he reassured him and said, Hey, man, let us talk, man. I love you guys. He started talking about their character. I just love the way you, you know, the way you handled, you know, the way you picked those strawberries the other day. He just started just start encouraging them. This is crazy. Can you imagine this, brother, you know, he's on that level with these guys. Let me just encourage you in your faith. That's right, the sovereignty of God. You think of your house. God knows all this is happening. And do you think with a body this amazing, that's the thing that blows me away about you guys. I'm like, I laugh because some of y'all, you guys are unbelievable. You come here, you're serving, you're fighting for the Lord. You're serving people in this community. You're serving each other like crazy. And then you guys get surprised when Satan tries to take you out. And I'm going. Are you kidding? You're unbelievable. If I was a hitman, I would try to kill you too. I'm serious. Why do you think this is not spiritual? Do you think the spiritual battle here? Why do you think you think you're gonna just come in here and just build a house and he's gonna just let you build it? Really? Really? He's Satan. He hates you and he hates God. You love God and you love His people. He's trying to kill you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But God says, I'm sovereign. And ain't nothing He's going to do that's outside of my control. I just want you to understand that's what God is doing. That's why He's brought you here. He's doing something powerful in you. This body's awesome. I'm expecting the warfare we get because of the caliber of people that He has brought in this body. I expect it. You should too. Expect you to have an awesome family, you're going to be a godly woman and just serve in the community. And God not, and Satan not try to take you out, sis. he going to try to take you out. He says, Spoke kindly to him. I'm sorry. And it says in the scriptures, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. And he lived 110 years. And he saw a third generation of Ephraim's children. You see this, guys? Also, the children of Makir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. the picture, you got to picture this, guys. We're going along. I'm, we're going along. Picture this. So, you Picture oh, old dude. Fought hard. Got his little got his grandkids on his... You see this? <coughs> On his knees. You see it, guys? Picturing it? Remember what we talk about? Be in the scriptures. Be in the scriptures when you read it now. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that? He says, Look now, I'm telling you guys, I believe the promise. See, he believed the promise. They're in Egypt. He says, Hey, don't you bury me here because that ain't where God promised us to be. You're going to bury me where we're supposed to go. All right? and you know what I love about it, remember? Years later, they got his bones, what did they do? Buried him where he's supposed to be. Right? Look at this. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on oath, an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. Oh, brother. And after they... Embalmed him. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Um, there's a whole nother piece that we could talk about of Christ and culture here, with him being placed in a Egypt in a coffin in Egypt and being part of the culture and all that. But we can't go there now. Um, just just think about that. I mean, it was 400 years that he had the bones, right? I mean, think about that. They 400. Um, what the bones look like after 400 years? There's some doctors in the house. That's weird. But um, but that's. I mean, when you think about somebody understanding a promise, 400 years. And they're like, oh, dude, dude, we're going somewhere. Oh, we got to get those bones. You know where those bones are? Can you imagine? I don't know. So, I mean... So, yeah, we have a doctor. Uh, so, we ha- so we said basically, you know, the Egyptians are serious embalmers. So they probably had something of some form to take something back, which I think is just unbelievably amazing. Um, here's a question I want you to ask yourselves, guys. Where do you want to be at the end of your life? I just love this picture of what success looks like. And I just want us to hear this. Um, I'm just going to say it. And that is, is that the, the world tells us we've got to have a bunch of stuff. We've got to make sure that we matter in some way. And you know what I love about Joseph it just seems like the joy was for him to have a lineage. He has his grandkids bouncing on his knee. He's walking with the Lord, and he's looking at a 100 relatives. He's seeing that he's birthed kids, he's procreated, and he's making image bearers, and they're just enjoying Jesus. And it seemed to me like, wow, what a beautiful picture of success. At the end of my life, you know, in my flesh, I want to have all this stuff. But man, spending time with the Lord these last forty days, I'm like, you know what you know will be the joy? The joy will be me and my wife growing old. I'm just seeing my little son Connor. Have a kid. Seeing Lauren being celebrated by a godly man. Seeing her, you know, handing her her corn. And saying, sweetheart, you need anything else? Being part of a body that walks with the Lord. Seeing Seeing people just walk with the Lord in this community. Seeing many of you guys be elders, you guys, seeing your kids raised too. What do you see? What's success for you? The other day, I was I was blown away at how me and Sarah were going for a walk, and um, and um, I'll just show you. It was it was really cool. Um, we were we were walking, and I was just blown away. And this is just a, this is just a small part. We have these things in our body. If you're Mac average, called beach heads. And what God is doing for his grace is He's by his grace, is he's allowing, he's positioning us all over the community. And this is just like a, a couple of streets. It's not even, you know, I, I just want to do this little area just to give a snapshot. This is one beachhead area. Okay. And we have five. Okay. And what happened was um, we were walking. And next thing you know, we're, we're, you, know you I'm like, man, we, we stopped by this house. Here's Kristen Recker's house now. And we walked a little, walked further, a couple of houses. And I'm like, oh, Wow. Turn the corner, there's the Rojeks, right over It seems actually, um, uh, actually, I think the, the road, actually that's not true, the Rojeks are before Kristen Recker, they're over here. So, so the Rojeks would actually be like right here somewhere. Okay? Um, and then, um, you know, you, you walk a little further and these are just, it's like three, it's three streets, you know? And then you got Edgar, and then you got Joel and Darren. And if you come down, you come right down the street, you know, a, a block. Two blocks, a block, right? And then you hit half block, and then you hit the Crawfords, you know, and the Sellies and and then you know these guys are actually next door; they're two houses away from us. And I just thought, and and that's one that's one uh, beach here, and I just thought more people moving in, and more people are buying homes. I just thought, how cool is going to be? Um, not just for us selfishly, you know, um, to walking to see all these kingdom-centered, gospel-centered people worshiping God. But I thought, for our community, as we're loving people, it's like you go three houses and there's another believer who, who's, who's crazy about the Lord and they're caring for you and serving you and, and speaking redemptively and, you know, and not again, not patronizing, not, not doting on you, but just gospel-centered. I thought, the, the community is going to have to take notice of that reality as we continue to live and be the gospel in our community. It is what it is. Um I thought, wow, what a cool picture. And that's one beach yet. If I was to go down to the Van Dyke area, then I'd be able to show all these other little beach all the different places where you can walk down the street and turn a corner and there's more people here, and more people here. God is doing something, guys. Um God's doing something in our body. And out of my prayers um down the road we would <clears throat> we would see God's goodness. Point of the narrative, guys. Um of this narrative is, is, is simply that Joseph is good. We've seen Joseph have, do a lot of good stuff, be a really good man, uh, but Jesus is better. Jesus is best. And that everything that happens, here's, here's why the book ends anticlimactically. He dies, he's, you know, he's waiting to be buried. It just ends, it's just anticlimactic, right? Nothing happens. You, you think a car chase or something, none of that. He just dies. And the reason why it ends is because Genesis is Genesis, right? The book of beginnings. And it's the beginning of what? Redemptive history as we know it. It's the beginning of us pointing, of history pointing to our Savior. And so everything right now is just pointing and getting us prepared for the beautiful coming of the Messiah. And so that's what's happening. And so that's what's going to happen even as we continue on and study the scriptures, uh, the 66 books of the Bible. i um, having maybe three down and a bunch more to go. So that's what's happening, guys. Be encouraged. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do time. Tith-